Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Andrew Wu. I'm Lee Jo John. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. Hello, my friends. Welcome to hell. Actually, it's not hell. This is Bebop Tabletop Session 16, Black Dog Serenade. With me, as usual, is my very good friend, Lee Joe John. How are you doing, Lee Joe? Hey, I'm cracking open a bottle of Dom Perignon. Are you just going to pour it on the ground? Well, I wanted to be real edgy and, you know, real cool, so I was, but now you've said it, and it's kind of ruined everything. I mean, you might as well just start drinking I it I might now, as well right? just start drinking it. With us today, we have a very, very special guest. The host of the Sudden But Inevitable podcast, another podcast that's covering Cowboy Bebop because we need more of those. We absolutely do. Say hello to Jesse. Hi, Jesse. Hey, guys. How's it going? I brought some cigarettes with that I plan to share with you both. I assume you both smoke. This is a world for smokers, after all. The smoking never stopped in our world, honestly, right? Like, that's how I got this deep, gravelly voice. It's what you're known for. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you for being here. Welcome, welcome. Uh, Jesse had... Uh, me on his podcast, by the time this goes out, it'll be a couple weeks ago, uh, where we covered episode five of the live action Bebop, Dark Side Tango. Which is uh, basically this episode, but in live action. I mean, yeah. it, with some modifications, of course. We won't get into the differences between live action and anime. We don't have the time for that. But <laughs> I do want to say thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm a big fan of this show in particular. I, I kind of seek out Cowboy Bebop podcasts and listen to them. So I'm not a big tabletop gamer, but I love your show. I've listened to every episode except for the most recent one, which is in my queue for tomorrow. And I'm just, I got to say, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And I'm really excited to talk Cowboy Bebop, especially because it's been, oh man, I think almost three, four months since we got to, maybe six months since we got to watch this for our show. So going back to the anime was was a great time. So thank you for the opportunity to do that and to be here with you guys. Yeah, no, thank you for being here again, because we need as much of your perspective as possible, because today we want to break down this episode, find out what things make sense to a super fan such as yourself for tabletop gaming, and then like, you know, Rip up our expectations. That's what I want. So come at, come at me, Jesse. <laughs> In our design philosophy, we are trying to make the most fun game possible, but we are also adapting something that's nearly 25 years old. So uh, we need to make sure that it's approachable and fun for the mega fan. If we are unable to do that, then uh, then we failed, just, you know, period. So any insight you, as a clear fan of Cowboy Bebop, uh, can provide to us would be incredibly appreciated. Oh, man. Well, first, I have to say to both of you, you know this is this is like calling your shot, right? Like this is the Babe Ruth of, of building a tabletop RPG to say, I'm going to adapt Cowboy Bebop. Like that's a huge swing, right? You, you guys both understand you're taking a huge swing with this, which I think is very admirable. I think that's a... You know, if you're going to adapt something you love into something else you love, why not take a huge swing? And as we have seen, though, we do have to say there's going to be people out there that no matter how perfect of a Cowboy Bebop tabletop game you guys make, they're going to be upset with it. And they're going to say you didn't translate something correctly. You didn't include something I wanted. You left out something that I did want, you, you know, that kind of a thing. But I think it's admirable to use the stated goal that you have, which is to make it approachable to everybody, to make it feel modern, to make it feel like it captures the essence of Cowboy Bebop. Because I will be honest, after our discussion on my show with Andrew, I had to ask people, hey, you know, fans of things in general, and I'm asking this purely out of curiosity, does canon matter? And I got so many answers, you guys. I got every version of an of an answer to that, right? Like, it doesn't matter at all. It's the only thing that matters. Like, I, I 
seriously the entire spectrum of answers were given for that. And part of the reason that I had asked it is because Andrew and I had discussed, you know, did the live action adaptation capture the essence of Cowboy Bebop? For me, that answer is a hard yes. I know that for a lot of people, that answer is a hard no. Go listen to my show. I promise you, you'll come out the other side of it feeling a little (laughs) bit more positive. But I think that a lot of the same potential pitfalls apply here, right? Because you guys are are going, okay, let's take this beloved thing and turn it into a fun, enjoyable thing. I'm sure there are people that would go, it's already that. Why do you have to do that? But (laughs) I, I think that for me, as a person with like no tabletop RPG experience, your goal should be to make me feel like there's jazz happening and that mm-hmm. that jazz is the result of my actions. Now, oh, yeah. I don't know if that means playing actual jazz music in the background. Maybe it does. But, you know, I've actually found that I'm not a huge jazz fan outside of Cowboy Bebop. So maybe <laughs> just play the Cowboy Bebop theme song. Yeah, just Bebop, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, just the entire soundtrack to the series in general. But <laughs> I need to feel like the, like split second whimsical decisions that I make are creating a fun narrative that other people would like to be a part of. Because to me, I think I said this on our show, the essence of Cowboy Bebop, this is going to sound pretty simplistic, but it's Cowboys and stay with me, Bebop. So if those two things are there and I feel those two things and I feel like I am those things, right? I feel like a cowboy in space or I feel like I'm Bebop in my way through this game then I think you guys have hit the target. Uh, thankfully, um, when we started this and decided to go the very public route of talking about the game in progress while we're building it during a podcast, I did not consider the fan response at all. So otherwise, I would have been terrified and probably wouldn't have started it. <laughs> I did not mean to bring up a point of pain. Um, it uh, So when I started an indie podcast, I was like, oh, my podcast is all about loving things and sharing that love with my friends. I'm sure people will love it. And we've still had people that are like, why don't you guys do this with your show? Or why don't you change it and be more like this? And I'm like, okay. I I mean, no, (laughs) but like, I didn't even think that other people would have input. So, I mean, it really is a thing. I mean, you know, especially with a game, you know, this is something that you're hoping people will sit down and do together. So the social aspect of it is going to be a real thing. And, and I think, I mean, that that is what makes it difficult, but I think that's also what makes the challenge fun. And that's why I said, you guys, this is a big swing, okay? When they created Cowboy Bebop, they went, we're going to invent a genre. And then they did. So <laughs> and then calling your shot it. is part of the like, DNA of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Are we ready for an episode summary? Let's hit it. A prison transport for Pluto is hijacked by the inmates led by Udai Taksim, a former syndicate assassin. While not fixing the showers, Jet's former ISSP partner, Fad, leaves a message with Faye. Jet barely notices a cigarette burning in his prosthetic fingers. Jet meets with Fad, who tells him about Udai's escape. In a flashback, Fad and Jet chase a young Udai. Just when Jet has him cornered, a spotlight blinds him, and he is shot. Back in the present, Jet leaves Ed in charge of the bonsai and goes to meet Fad. Jet and Fad figure out that Udai is heading to Europa. After a dogfight and a rocket fight, Jet and Fad board the transport. Jet and Udai fight in a dark hallway. Udai realizes Jet doesn't know his true betrayer, Fad. That's when Fad kills Udai. Fad explains that people who go against the syndicate lose. He cocks his gun, but Jet beats him to it. Fad falls, and Jet sees Fad's gun is empty. Fad asks for one last cigarette and dies as Jet limps away. Uh, So yeah, Jesse, you and I talked about, uh, you and I and your co-hosts talked about the live-action adaptation of this exact story. So in the live-action version, the episodes are a little longer, so there were still... uh, So one of the things I noticed in this episode is that there is only this plot. Right, there, the entire, almost the entirety of the episode. I think Spike has three lines, Faye has two lines, Ed's got two fun things, and that's it. Uh, but everything else is Jet and Fad and Udai. So the the live action show had a little bit more breathing room, was allowed to add in another story in there. But here we're just hyper focused on this uh, this noir like detective hard. What is it like a hard boiled novel, right? <laughs> like. 
the the last time we saw this kind of episode, I think, was Jet's previous episode, right? He, mm. when he's talking to his his ex girlfriend, right, Alyssa. Yep. And it was that same kind of noiry, like uh, blues, right? Jet, yeah. Jet's all about the blues, right? I guess, yeah. So, what are you guys' take on on you know this is a genre piece, and this genre belongs to Jet? How do how do you feel that that the show treats that? So, uh, Cowboy Bebop is a mix of a lot of things from the various, honestly, just a combination of cliches and just a combination of homages and a combination of just uh, various types of. Uh, categories of of movies and television. I mean, Spike occasionally drifts into the kung fu movie, into the mafia <laughs> movie, that sort of thing. Faye drifts into the heist movie, and uh, you know, you could argue like kind of like an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind sort of thing. Uh, mm. But also, you know, but when it comes to Jet, Jet is almost always the film noir detective, almost always the hard-boiled detective, as he said. Uh, so I'm always, it's always interesting to me when they start to do these like separate, almost solo episodes. And the episode is almost entirely Jet. So so they were able to really lean into the whole, here's a tragic you know, flashback of him losing his arm, but wait, there's more context to this scene, and mm. there's there's a lot of goofiness and a lot of definitely just cliche stuff, but it's great, and I love it, and you know, it it really adds to Jet's character as you watch it unfold. I think the thing that I love the most about this, specifically to your point, Lee Joe, about the genre mix. Genre, that's the word. Mm. Is that <laughs> could not think of the word while talking? Sorry. No, no, you're good. Uh, I think my favorite point about the genre mix is that Jet is so decidedly noir. I mean, his name is literally Jet Black. It's not subtle, <laughs> and everything that he is doing is so noir. It's very you know cops and pulpy, and it's it's just it feels like seventies to me, and mm. he's. Everything is is so like dusty and old, and then they smash that into basically Con Air, which is <laughs> yes, like that is such a great idea, and and so everything on can we please just call it Con Air? This whole episode is is like that's the official name of the ship now. That's yeah, Con Air. Yeah, <laughs> it's shaped like a Tommy gun, but it's it's Con Air. <laughs> There's this these layers of you know parallel deception because this this ex syndicate assassin is calling the syndicate and going, "Hey, you guys, I need some syndicate help." And they're like, "Do you not know what ex syndicate means? Like, it's right there <laughs> in the title, man." And Jet's like, I gotta go work with my partner, and he's like, Are you seriously not aware that he's the one that betrayed you? So it's like, both of these totally badass guys—one who's a hard-boiled ex-cop and one who is, you know, an assassin for a crime syndicate—both of these guys have moments where they go, "Oh, nobody has my back." Like, mm -hmm. it, it's like a, it's like a professional naivete, right? Like, yeah, come on, I was trying to do my job well, wasn't everybody else? And I mean, that's a relatable feeling, you know, on because because, you know, being a noir detective is not necessarily super relatable. But you know, having <laughs> people around you just be incompetent and not operate on the same code that you do is something that is relatable. So, I feel like there might be an opportunity to somehow translate that into a mechanical thing. But I'm again, sure. I'm the neophyte. Yeah. I don't know, but I I do love. You know, there's a lot of I I can't identify horns super great by ear. Is it a mournful mm. trumpet in this episode, or is that a French horn? That whatever it is, it's a very dirty horn. It's very sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, it's very very sad. <laughs> sad and dirty. Like it's it's um, there's a quality, a grunge quality to the horn in mm. this episode. Um, so I, I I don't know. It's just such an evocative episode just because of all the genre tropes that you had both mentioned and yeah. all of the the mixing of those things it really does manage to be evocative and i got to i just going to reiterate i think evoking feelings of you know musical looseness is has got to be a big goal <laughs> for this adaptation <laughs> i do wonder how that will so one of the our goals in this game is yeah like like heavily 
bringing up those musical references in like a paper format, right? Like it, it's a it's a strange thing, right? I, I will say so. One of the best times in playing a tabletop RPG do feel like like you and everybody at the table is in a band and playing exactly the same tune, right? Like when when you are. And when everybody's on the beat, when when the role play is going just right, or when combat is happening exactly right, like everyone's hitting all these things exactly, things you didn't expect, but you adapt to it, and things that happen that, you know, you, you just know it's reliable, and it's going to work, it's going to feel good. Like that, that feeling is like everyone at your table is playing the same song right, and adding their own flavor to it. If we can make that more explicit, if we can generate that feeling every game or you know i would take 80 percent if we if we can get a b average in in evoking those feelings i would i would feel very very happy that's an interesting challenge like i said i don't have any frame of reference for that that Mm. communal actually that's not true now that i think about it so i've been on like rating parties in video games where once everybody knows their job it's like okay, now things are clicking. We're all going to get loot this time. This isn't going to be a mm-hmm. six-hour wipe session, right? This is going to be us actually making progress. I I wonder, though, like, how do you make each player feel like they have their own control over some of that rhythm? And how do you make that polyrhythm work, right? Because it's jazz. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, man, I didn't even consider that, you guys. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's a tough question, and I was before I get to that. I wanted to kind of add on to what uh, Wu was saying, and the argue. One of the things I wanted to say is, in real life, <laughs> outside of anime and in you know the RPG format, honestly, the some of the best times you have with friends is kind of a what I would call a happy chaos, right? You are things are things are happening and they're moving fast and it's it's a wild ride and you are enjoying it and I that is that is the tabletop experience that's kind of like the peak it's not the the orderly you know fight where you all punch you know a bad guy over and over again it's it's <laughs> like your friend is attempting to do something insane and you need to now kind of cover for them or you need to do this in real life or in the game like that is kind of that feeling i want to evoke and because that is bebop it is it is sometimes a sometimes it is a very sad and you know it can be very depressing uh show but the peak is sometimes the most wacky most chaotic sequences uh, you could imagine now is that going to be a tall order to ask for a game for a role-playing game absolutely um <laughs> so we're still working on it but, but you know slowly hearing but you say that though I-, I gotta say i think i think you're actually probably closer than you guys think to the goal because it sounds like the intrinsic nature of fun gameplay with a with a group of players that you know and trust and play with well is is like is so similar to being in maybe a quartet or a band right already that maybe that will happen naturally as long as you bring the right players maybe that's maybe it just comes down to your play group for that because i mean you guys can you guys can iron out whatever mechanics necessary even in gameplay right i mean and and like you said there will be play testing and everything but i do wonder i mean that's that's brilliant i bet you i bet you if you get the right people in the room, the the room, air quotes, I bet you that will be more important than the actual adherence, like a like a dogmatic adherence to the mechanics, right? That, Which that's often the case. Right? Is, like, and that's so probably in... going to be intuitive to want to do because you just spent so much time building all these mechanics from the ground up that you're going to be like, <laughs> we have to use these exactly as they're written. <laughs> the Yeah, so one of the things that happens frequently in... These kind so this happens I think in across the TTRPG space entirely is that most of the time people always come up with their own home rules like it's just part of the game no one so you know you pick up a, a copy of the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Dungeon Master's Guide and it's huge it's like hundreds of pages and you know some people may have it memorized or at least understand the whole rule set front to back but most of the time people have a general understanding. And then also understand that the people that they're playing with like these things and like these things, but don't like these things. Right? And then they'll pick and choose and they'll kind of homebrew their own versions of Dungeons and Dragons to play with their friends. And I think that's important. Like, I think that's actually 
better than sticking to the rules is designing the game for the people you're with. That being said, on this side, we're trying to design the game so that maybe you don't have to do that as much to get the feeling that we want to evoke, right? To get the feeling that you are playing in this band, that you are coming together and, you know, I guess killing an assassin on a on a Tommy gun ship, right? Like, it's, it's, we're, we're trying to make it so that the rules feel like they get you there with less effort. Also to that point, like, uh, I think one of the great benefits of having you on, Jesse, is that, you know, coming from that perspective of, uh, I mentioned before we started recording that, like, you are, like, our ideal target for, for this game. You are a Cowboy Bebop super fan, and you don't know a whole ton about this space, the TTRPG space, but I do know that you will, you would pick this up off the shelf, read through it, gather your friends, and be like, oh yeah, we're playing this, right? <laughs> and and I want to make that process as easy and as good as possible so that when you pick up this book, like like if you didn't know me, like so uh, when, it, when this thing comes out and you have questions about the rules, give us a call because absolutely we're 100%, <laughs> we're going to help you run this thing. But if you didn't know that, if for the Cowboy Bebop fan out there that, well, I mean, you can also reach out to us at, at Bebop Tabletop on Twitter. But still, if you don't know who I am and you don't know, you don't have this personal connection, I want you to be able to read through this manual and still have a great time. Right? That, that is the goal here. That is hard. <laughs> like, I think, I think we'll be discovering over time. Like, so, um, as we're getting into the test, testing phases of this game... One of the things that I really want to focus on eventually is getting someone else to run the game, right? I think that is a, a milestone to hit because it's when we run this game, uh, what, what, what is going to happen ultimately is that the rules on paper won't make a whole ton of sense. So as we're playing with people, we'll just fudge them, right? We'll say, oh, we'll do this, do this. Do this instead, right? It, the book says this, but pretend it doesn't. Right? Pretend it says something else. And then that's easy when we know what the intention of the rules are and what is supposed to be happening. But eventually we want that paper to be clearer, right? We want that paper right. to make more sense to somebody that isn't me, somebody that isn't Lijo, right? They, they need to be able to understand what's on the paper and still get the same correct effect, right? For me, I think the biggest thing would be immersion. So, mm. and and I think you're shooting at the same thing because you're talking about you want to evoke those feelings. You know, the essence needs to be there, that sort of a thing. So for me, that that ties directly into immersion. Uh, so you know, I'm thinking maybe profile sheets that look like mug shots or bounty posters. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 cards could come in a deck that looks like a pack of cigarettes. You know, that sort of a thing. Like, <laughs> I want the little touches, right? I need those little yeah. touches. But beyond that, you could you could go, you know, here's your mix of tropes or here's your mix of genres for this this uh, session, you know, that sort of a thing. Or here's your two character archetypes that you're going to stick with. It's, you know, hard-boiled ex-cop or, you know, uh, syndicate assassin or kung fu guy or femme fatale or, you mm -hmm. know, super hacker or whatever it might be, mm. you know, so... Floofy dog. That's, that's the one. that we, That's going to sell our game right there. Ein is going to be... That's the character we all want to play. If you can be the first ever team working on Cowboy Bebop to actually flesh out the Ein character, then I think <laughs> you're right. That might be a selling point because, man, they didn't do it in the anime and they didn't do it in the live action. And no, they, they did not. Yeah, <laughs> chances both times, and they went, "Oh, we sort of forgot no. that there was a data dog in this show," yeah. <laughs> which. You know, I, I to be fair, I feel like they remembered there's a cute dog in this show, but they forgot that he was special. It's it's yeah. it's not just a dog. Anyways, <laughs> as a person, you know, who, to be clear, you're right, I will be picking this up off the shelf. I think first I have to get out of the way. Uh, put the podcast cover art on the box because it is so mm. good. Like it, I don't. I don't own dice. It makes me want to buy dice. Like I, it's uh, that is. It is a good our, our design. Our friend Steph made that, and she is awesome. And uh, I can't thank her. I can't thank her enough for it because it it is so good. All my compliments to her. It is. It is 
gorgeous work. And I really feel like if it were on a box, it would sell a product. But maybe ship miniatures? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the norm is for a box that you for the box that you buy of a game off a shelf. Is it is it usually miniatures? Is it usually just all cards so that it's a pure social a purely social game is it like you said there's is there some booklets is there just one sheet of paper i think if you're going for maximum like jazz type immersion you could almost get away with one sheet of rules and then character profiles per person and then a setup like or maybe a a, a set of cards that build a setup for that particular session right like Okay, so there's a spaceship full of cons, and they're trying to get to Pluto, and you have this many Mm. turns to do whatever, right? I have no idea, but (laughs) I want to feel... One of of the fun things in in this space, so I think you're thinking of things more like, like a board game, right? Most board games come with components and like a pretty concrete set of rules and a very almost like limited set of outcomes or... Right. Or uh, what's the word? Uh, scenarios. Almost right. like limited winning conditions. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. It's like th- these are the rules of this game, and this is how you win, right? So one of the things that's really cool about TTRPGs, and also a little terrifying, is that there is no winning condition. Right? There is no restriction on what this game is about, Uh to your point about miniatures and components and, oh, yes, yes. I mean, in an ideal world, that is where we're going 100% because <laughs> I want a little, I want a little swordfish. I want yeah. a little, like, a little hard-boiled detective minifig, right? Like, I, I want all these things, right? Uh, the key is that, like, you don't need them, <laughs> right? right? It, to, in order to play the game, in, in our case, so in most other, I don't know about most, but in some other TTRPGs, they usually provide some sort of map of some kind just because you're playing in that space of like a tactical war game. Right? I move my character this many feet. I move this person over here. We're next to each other so we can fight. Things like that, right? Uh, the way we've structured this so far is that it's called uh, theater of the mind. So more like your players are imagining a space together without a physical like map to guide you. Right. Now that isn't to say like we wouldn't provide some sort of concept art or provide some like I think something that would be great would be like a module or book with just settings. Right? It's like hey, right. here are all the cool planets around uh Pluto is a planet here, right? Because yes. It, 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 I guess it never went away. Uh but like <laughs> here here's a picture of Pluto the prison planet and here here are what conditions are like. Here is how much a data dog costs on Pluto, right? It's 150 woolongs. Think, things like that, right? Like provide your game master context for building out scenarios themselves, right? Right. So uh, you would I, use I, this, so this episode would be like the, like an inspiration for part of that story. So yes, yeah. in So then in that case, would you be like, you know, thinking your party encounters a ship that is full of cons or are you thinking more of like one of you is contacted by somebody that you used to know like because that could create that social uh deduction aspect right or do you think it would be more of like a full full like you know here's the deal it's full of cons you have to do this because again i have no frame of reference (laughs) well so when it comes to tabletop rpgs there are different options some games will be like hey yo, this is a problem, you need to go fix it right now. But a lot of other games are more like, here's something mysterious and interesting, you should explore that. Uh, (laughs) And because tabletop RPGs tend to have a lot of freedom, and I mean, again, as I've said before, D&D and most tabletop RPGs are just playing make-believe with your friends, and that's fun, Um, there's always a chance that everything goes in a completely different direction. Maybe Jet meets Fad, and then they decide to, you know, uh, start go to the horse track and bet on you know horses like that. That could be you know your session. Like you did nothing like you were supposed to, but hey, that's that's the game for you. But most likely, yes. In you know the hook would be, hey, your old you know contact from Ganymede was paging you. You know, are you gonna go answer the call? And if you if you want to, you answer it. If you don't want to, we'll do something else. 
See, I like that, and I feel like that would be the way to craft that hook. You would either say your your old your old partner is calling you, or if you're if your particular play group, which is how mine would be, happens to be like let's call it ship centric, right? Like mm, sure. they spend a lot of their time on the ship. Uh, if they happen to do that, then it could be like a distress call because you know they did put out mm. the uh, the fake distress call that they use to lure in the cops mm. and then blow up their escape pod. So that might be a good hook. You could say you receive a distress call. It says yes, we're definitely prisoners, but you know, and that's I, I feel like anybody who's seen Con Air would would have to go right. <laughs> Like, there's almost no option not to. But of course, if they didn't, then you could turn that into a problem because you could say, mm-hmm. hey, do you remember three sessions ago there was a a uh, distress signal that you didn't answer? Well, it turns out that was actually a former syndicate assassin. And now he's taking control of that ship and he's got a crew of 30 dudes on it and they're chasing your ship. Like, I mean, it seems like you would just re not recycle the ideas, but almost... If your players wouldn't ju- wouldn't dive in how you were initially predicting, you just repocket, right? You just go. So, so Jesse, right oh, now, I just later. want you to know, you sound like a dungeon master right now. <laughs> just so you know, yeah, that is absolutely. exactly the way you're supposed to think about these things. <laughs> the world needs to feel like it's living and moving, and especially in the world of Cowboy Bebop, uh, it must be. It should be moving despite what you do. You know whether or not you choose to engage with the with the syndicate, or you choose to engage with the local. You know uh, the locals are having a produce war or something. You know whatever you engage with, other things are going to be happening. So absolutely, if you don't deal with this roving band of convicts, if I was the, the game master here. I would probably make them like a pirate crew. Like they would be, you know, (laughs) they would be, you know, doing the fake distress signal and basically stripping, you know, unsuspecting ships for parts or something like that. Like there's, there's many ways to put that into, into practice. And that's, that is what's great about, uh, you know, role-playing games. So would you give, a player and and again i forgive my ignorance but would you give a player like a play style mandate like um not you know against their will or anything but like hey so you are the hard-boiled detective right or like that's your character or like during the character creation process would they say my character is a hard-boiled detective sort of a thing or you know would they go more broad than that so it is up to them entirely right so i think the beauty of this is that uh, the beauty of tabletop RPGs is that each person can come in and design a character however they'd like, right? So I think my first instinct is just to build like an exaggerated version of myself that lives in the Cowboy Bebop universe, right? Like that's my first instinct to be like, okay, how did I become a bounty hunter? Who am I? What kind of skills do I have? And then see where that goes, right? Like I I don't know, you know, uh, when we, we talk about character creation a little bit several episodes ago and how the feeling we get is that every one of the main characters of Cowboy Bebop and a lot of the side characters as well is composed of three pillars, right? It's uh, where did they come from? Like what what is their background? Uh, Jet is an ISSP officer, right? Uh, he's got a bunch of skills related to being a, a cop, right? Uh, what, how did the world screw them, right? Like, how did they become a bounty hunter, essentially? And, uh, oh, yeah, like, that's this episode right now, right, for, yep. for Jet. We saw how, what happened to him. Why is he living like a cowboy these days? Right. And then how do you carry on? How do you carry that weight? And that is kind of the rest of the series, right? Like, Jet, you know, Jet growing his bonsai, right? Jet dealing with, you know, his ex-girlfriend. Like, th- those pieces are how Jet moves forward, Right. And that composes the most uh, bebop-feeling character. Like every single one of them has those three components. So we would ask, as a new player to come into the game, that that is how they think about constructing their character. Right? By, by focusing on those three things. Uh, so the fun thing about uh, you know, adult make-believe time is that you know, the, the rules are flexible and we're trying to maximize our fun. So what happens is like, you and your game master would discuss your character. Right? A, a player would come to them and say, I want to 
build a character like this. Right? This is this is what I'm thinking. This is how I think they should be. And the game master will know what they're thinking, will try to design... Well, you know, first of all, will try to help them craft their character in a way that fits the world that they're thinking of. And then when they're designing scenarios week to week, they can use those character moments, use those character building blocks to build out like a backstory or build out like a scenario that feels real to that character, helps them play out what they're trying to play out. Uh, so it doesn't always work that way. Uh, yep. Yep. Go ahead. Well, so as a no experienced dude who just picked this up off the shelf and I'm trying to get my friends to play it with me, I'm going to need ultra simple combinations of things that I can say you can be this and that with this in it. So I'm thinking like, list of archetypes right like we were saying mm -hmm. so you'd have detective you got kung fu guy you got femme fatale you got super hacker all those things then you go pick a haunted past and then pick mm -hmm. a you know stubborn trait like almost a strength and a weakness right so you've got mm -hmm. so if you were going to build jet you would pick the detective character and then the haunted past would be ex-cop and the character trait would be can't let things go right and then you can mm -hmm. you as the game master or you know cowboy master space master we'll come up with something you as the game I was master going with maestro for a while game maestro oh, oh <laughs> I, I like it a lot. what about game conductor but i mean it is the same as that's maestro. what i was thinking right it's the yeah. same as maestro yeah i think maestro is better i think you're right uh <laughs> you as the game maestro would then you know be able to use those personal traits to craft hooks for your players in theory right because you could go okay, I know this player remembers they're supposed to not be able to let things go. So if I mention something from two sessions back, they'll go, oh, I'm the black dog. I don't let things go. I want to go check that out. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, clear water uh, kung fu player would go, no, man, it doesn't matter. Let's just go. It, just mm -hmm. ignore it. Let's go. And yeah, I, I think I'm starting to understand a little better the the uh, the adult Pretend story time, I think, is what you called it. That should have like a very specific kind of music behind it, Andrew. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are several RPG systems which have kind of what they what I would call a trope system, where they do have these quick tropes, like of you know this type of character or this such of this such and such, or again like if the 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 noir detective, right? And they'll usually give a list of, like, suggested strengths and suggested, like, character flaws. And I think we, we would probably do a couple of those. But in the end, like, we're trying to make the stat system pretty quick to choose from. And I'd like this game to be not quite pick up and play, but I don't want, I don't want you spending an hour explaining the rules to your friends. Because unless they've, they, they have a lot of tabletop experience which you know even we don't have that much um like it's still like the worst part of any board game of any tabletop the worst part of anything is explaining how to do it once <laughs> once you're actually once your hands are dirty like once you get in there you'll have fun and i i, I think that even even though we're still kind of working with a skeleton of a game uh i think it you know it has a lot of ability to be fun the the thing is, we're still trying to iron out some of these kinks, and I don't. Again, I just don't want you st sitting there for an hour explaining every single rule to your friends. Well, and uh, I shut think up, shut up and sit down is a uh, board game review site that I like, and they call it the Teach. So we want to have a nice, smooth teach. Well, and I feel like if you went like maybe super broad with your your, it wouldn't maybe be stats so much as like you know detective who can't let things go, like just very broad emotional strokes that you're painting for your players right like or you know for your your session you know have it have it be that way but i think i agree i because i'm especially for cowboy bebop i don't want to sit down and open a book that has 30 pages in it and i'm like okay i gotta pay attention to numbers or like you know remember anything i don't want to remember anything outside of this feels fun and like i am I'm almost a criminal, but I'm chasing criminals. Like it just needs to feel, it's hard not to say jazzy. It, it really is. Yeah. But, but I, I think you're totally right. There needs to not be a, like a pile of literature. There needs to be like broad strokes of, of tropes because the tropes are integral, but mm. there needs to be a way to not make them feel like the, 
be all. So I'm actually going to try to thread that uh, needle a little bit, or I guess, you know, try to compromise there. And so Dungeons and Dragons has starter kits. I think they're called the, like, the essential, the essential mm-hmm. kit and like the starter kit either way. Um, they have their big old manual, their campaign book in there. And that is, you know, a hundred pages, but that's not only the, the, some of the rules, but it's also, uh, it's also kind of a basic campaign of, you know, an adventure you can do and, you know, kind of some thing, some quick plot points to, to kind of immerse you into the location, but they also bring in pre-made characters like little like like what you what that sounds like what you want is kind of a something you don't need to dig into the handbook for and i think that is very useful for newbies uh and they probably will be very similar to the the cowboy bebop crew Mm -hmm. because that seems like the easiest option also uh they'll be probably vague enough so that we won't get sued but that's a whole different story um but yeah i think I think we will. What we want is something that you know any beginner can sit down and play. But I want enough freedom that somebody who's been playing for a while can get weird with it. Definitely, and I think to Andrew's point, if you if you make that list broad but really long, right? Like there are super broad strokes. For example, noir detective, kung fu guy, but do like fifty of those, right? Mm-hmm. Like fifty different trope characters to where like Andrew was saying, like he could go, I want to make a heightened version of myself. So, you know, I have literally no idea what any of your passions are, Andrew, outside of podcasting and board gaming. So yeah, if you could, (laughs) so there you go, you know, you could have your character, you could be like, I'm a, uh, hacker or, you know, a nerd of some kind computer nerd, (laughs) because there are computer nerds in this series, plenty of them. And then, you know, you could pick out a couple of other pieces from there. But I think that's a great point, because I and I don't know how you balance the like, um, the new player versus the veteran player content, my guess would be just give the veteran player more options, right? Like, sure. yeah. or, or maybe have all the options available, but not encourage the new player to use them all right away or something. I think that's exactly it, right? I, I think we discussed a long time ago the idea of like a choose your own adventure style build a character. So we could lead you through. So I, uh, the way I feel about it is that like, yeah, there should be tons of options for your character, right? You, you should be able to build almost anything you'd like that fits into this universe, right? You want to be you want to be VT? You want to drive trucks in this universe? I want that there. I want you to be able to do that. You want to be Punch or Judy? I want that to be there. That's the first time I've thought about that and that would be amazing. I host a TV show in the Cowboy Bebop universe where we hunt down bounties. Love it. I want that. How do you do that, right? How do you give those options to people? Uh, I wouldn't give those options to a uh, to a person for the first time picking up this book and saying, hey, what's this book about? Because that would be a very strange journey for them, right? Like, it would be very, very hard to play. Probably frustrating, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so the way I would frame it is that, hey, let, let's start with some simple, you know, not necessarily building out these tropes, but if we guide you through the skills that are available. Mm. If we say, hey, like, if you answer these questions, yeah, I was a cop. Okay, so go down this path. Pick these skills. It's like, oh, and I was, you know, and I've, I've gotten to a lot of fights. It's like, okay, so pick these skills or these disabilities, right? These, these negatives, right? Then, you know, when you're done with that choose-your-own-adventure kind of process, it's like, oh, this is my character. This is who this is. It kind of fits. It, it probably fulfills that archetype role, right? It is how you, like, by, by following these endpoints, you know, these questions, answering yes or no, you get to this archetype, right? It's not permanent right like i like the idea then that now that you've got this character if you're happy with this awesome get ready to play tell your tell your tell your maestro right oh that feels a little weird but tell your maestro uh if you're not happy with it hey take a look at all these other pages like like look in the back of the book look in the appendices right here's other things you could try right maybe you know i want to be a cop but i want to be like a desk jockey right so it's like okay so you take the cop path but you decide, hey, let's take away all the gun skills and adding all the like detective work, right? Let's bump that up and minus on this. Right? Let's. It's like, uh, what if the opposite? What if I'm like, what if I want to be like a like a family hire nepotism? Like I, I'm a lieutenant in the in the ISSP, 
because my uncle you know, runs the force, right? Like, okay, so take these skills and take these out. You've got better connections, but you've got worse everything else, right? Think, things like that. Uh, like it, it, at that point, you're like an advanced player, right? I would say you're you're no longer just playing the game. I imagine so for first time players of this thing. I imagine a lot of players will be like, hey, I want to be Spike, I want to be Faye, I want to be Jet. Right? I want to play this game, and I want to hunt down bounties. Right? That, that's what I want to be. And that's great. Like, I think, you know, our first adventure, probably the example adventure, will be Asteroid Blues, because that is a straight trope that is a 100%, here is a bounty. Here, you are bounty hunters. This is what you need to do. Go and get it. Right? That, that is our first adventure. But then... You play that once, cool. You play a similar kind of thing another time, cool. At some point, you get tired. At some point, you get bored. At some point, it's time to start taking the training wheels off and go wild with it. And I think that's we want that to be possible. We want you to be able to feel like, oh, the I don't have to be Spike, right? I, I and I don't have to be Jet, and I don't have to be Faye. I can be anything. And it will still feel like Cowboy Bebop. That, to me, is a huge... I mean, it's a tall order. But I think, like you said, if you can capture the essence of those tropes and the genre mix, then I think... I think maybe you maybe you need to infuse a genre per character to to keep the genre thing in mind. Because I don't, I don't have mm. a suggestion for how to keep genre in mind. But, but like, it, it's... It's definitely essential, and I I would think you'd almost have to play music with it because mm-hmm. otherwise the music is going to have to come from – it will have to be internal, right? People will have to mm-hmm. go, yeah, we're clicking now. Everything is working. It's meshing. The music is the, is the created experience that we're sharing here, and I think if there's some way you could control maybe rhythm of play, that might help, or like you were saying, if you could get – multiple player characters having their own rhythms that might be enough to create the essence of a jazzy quartet you know just Mm -hmm. for example um that might be enough to do it but but i have no idea man i do you guys have any (laughs) other like specific things where you thought to yourself you know to really get across the music or the jazz or the genre mix is is there anything that you guys have hit specifically on that you think is the key to communicating those things in this setting i think i actually want to flip this question a little bit uh back towards you i think what i want to ask is even going farther out from cowboy bebop and you know you have all this experience with the space westerns you know obviously you love your firefly as we all do um (laughs) What is it about the space western that is so compelling? It, what would make you want to play a game about it? Like what what does there need to be? So, it needs to be there needs to be I want it to feel and maybe this is just me. I want it to feel like success is difficult or rare, right? So, mm-hmm. it sounds like you may have that covered because it's it because it is a theater of the mind setup. You just never write that last chapter, right? You never, you guys never put the instruments down at the end of the session, right? You just put them in the cases. And so without a final, without any sort of finality, I would think that you would want multiple chances at positive outcomes per session. And I don't know what that looks Mm -hmm. like if it looks like, you know, loot drops or, you know, success in a, in a, in a, an attempted thing. Um, but you'd want multiple chances of that per session, but I would think most of them need to go sideways, but not sideways enough to, mm-hmm. like, for example, kill your character just enough mm-hmm. to make you go, eh, easy come, easy go, right? And <laughs> it needs to be in an entertaining enough world to keep me there, and it needs to feel realistic in the ways that um, the struggle feel, right? Like, I need to feel like I'm capable but that the setup is what's making things difficult the world itself is harsh right and Mm -hmm. i think the other aspect that is huge in a space western or at least in most of the space westerns that i have personally encountered other than the harsh environment frontier aspect to everything is found family because Mm -hmm. firefly in particular is about found family it's about nine strangers right and how they 
get a little closer. And um, Cowboy Bebop is about found family, but in a much more resistant way. They none of them would ever call each other family. They would never share a, a you know a moment of smiles and hugs. But they all understand that they're there for each other. Yeah, you know, for the most mostly. Part. And so that camaraderie and the difficulty of the world, I think, are are things that I find necessary for a space western. And if I'm being honest, that's what makes Cowboy Bebop, in all of its various permutations, so impressive in such a deep way to me. Because it does have those things, but it also has freaking jazz and like every trope I've ever heard of. It's like the weirdest mix of things. Like you were saying earlier, Lee Joe, it's the weirdest mix of things and it should not work at all on paper. And in the sweetest way, you guys, I feel the same thing about the cowboy bebop tabletop. Like when you start talking about it, it's like, I'm sorry, there are too many variables. This won't work. But I mean, that's what everybody has said about cowboy bebop from the start. Right. And they've been proven nothing but wrong every single time, in my opinion. So I if, I mean, and you guys have shown me to, to get me excited about a game that doesn't exist that I don't know how to play the genre of is probably a good sign. Right. Like, I, I, I think so. you yeah. guys have a solid base to work from. And I'm surprised and impressed. Not not surprised because I don't think anybody could do it. Just I'm surprised and impressed that two people went, let's do this. And you're you're basically there like you've you've nailed what you need as far as essences go you've nailed what you need as far as the feeling of the thing goes so like you said it's really now it's just about that last little couple pieces of translation and and i am personally excited to check it out but i'm i'm i don't know how you guys are going to do it like i i feel like <laughs> i wish i could help you more but i have no i have no like idea I mean, this is how helping to make right that now, work <laughs> Uh, I, I like, like uh, I think, I hope, at least, a lot of the points you brought up about what makes a space western a space western, what makes you want to inhabit that world, I mean, I think that's almost 100% spot on, like, what we've been discussing for the last 16 sessions of this show, right? Where that is exactly the mood we're trying to hit, right? Exactly the kind of scenarios we're trying to build and the feelings that we want to come out of this game right? and that's reassuring that it's like oh yeah yeah th those are what we want that is our goal perfect like we we're on target here and, uh, it's, it's very useful for us to know that yeah that's that's what you want <laughs> right that's what people want to play that's what people want to live in well and i think you're gonna get the the found family camaraderie aspect of it through the playing of the thing so it's almost mm -hmm. like just by doing the thing, you're creating the second essential piece of it, which I, I, that's kind of amazing, dude. Like it's, it's akin to magic, honestly. Like you're, you're using a vision, a shared vision to create a story for other people. That's pretty impressive. Like, we, and I we think we got to get you into one of these games because <laughs> it is magic. When it goes well, it is, it feels so good. <laughs> and, and that's, I think that's how it's going to work because Bebop is about feeling and about evoking those emotions of cool and ugh and just fun, <laughs> right? Like it's a tough life, but god damn it's fun to watch. Like I <laughs> there's nothing that I don't like in Cowboy Bebop, right? Even though they're all having a rough go of it. <laughs> terrible time. <laughs> just a yeah. terrible time. I think with your, I think you guys, with your setup, the, the second essential piece will fall into place. And, and mm -hmm. I wonder if that's something that all game designers eventually get to, right? Where they go, look, it's going to be on the players. If they don't, for lack of a better term, if they can't play, they can't play, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about every now and then, and there are, there are dozens and dozens of subreddits about, Dungeons and Dragons horror stories of terrible players, of bad dungeon masters, and like we're not building this game for them. Like you know, again, we we want to build a game that minimizes that effect because through systems you can uh, encourage bad behaviors, right? But it, it, this game isn't really for them. Right? This game is for people that 
are looking for found family. It's for people that want to have a good time together. It's, uh, you know, I worry about it every now and then about, it's like, well, uh, I think Lijo brings up, like, who, imagine the worst person you know playing this game, right? And sometimes I worry about it a lot, but I, I, I've more and more come to understand that, like, well, I can't, I can't worry about it that much because that person will always be there and that person can't be helped by my you know, interpretation of the rules. Like it's, I can't do it from here, <laughs> from my, from this side of the the rules table. Yeah. There will, there will always be bad actors for lack of a better term, right? Somebody who's not yeah. into the thing. They're not buying in. They're not, you know, putting their heart in it, whatever it may be. And I don't, you know, you guys probably do worry about that because you're like, what if they ruin somebody else's experience with this? And that's a good thing to worry about. But I don't think that's on you guys. Like you can design the game, as as well as you possibly can and there will be somebody that will find a way to ruin their friend's play <laughs> yeah. session right that doesn't that doesn't it's not because it's the cowboy bebop game you made it's because that guy will do that i yeah. i'm gonna assume that guy is a guy <laughs> it's usually a guy yep. <laughs> not always but usually uh yeah no we we had a whole a whole you know a podcast episode basically talking about should we do something to promote unity and you know working together and Really, we decided that there should be no outward force to being kind to one another. If you if you try to make that a game mechanic, that worst guy you know is going to use it in the worst possible way. <laughs> like uh, you kind of have to do the whole Bill and Ted: be excellent to one another. You know, you can't you can't be a jerk because I mean, eventually people will stop playing with you. They'll stop <laughs> hanging out with you if you continue to be that way. Maybe put that on your on like your one sheet, right? Like put that on the main <laughs> sheet at the very bottom. Just write remember be like clear water at all times. All right, question for you, Jesse. So, who do you want to be in the Cowboy Bebop universe? What character would you play? Okay. So, I am going to do two things here that are going to seem a little bit conceited. The first thing is, I'm going to assume that some of my listeners are listening to this episode. I'm, I feel comfortable doing that. And um, the second part of that is, I'm going to say that they know that I'm about to say, I want to play me in the Cowboy Bebop universe, the same way that you want to play you, Andrew. It's like, yeah. I, you know, it's, I know the tropes. I know all the versions of the tropes. I've seen so many space westerns, and I would love a chance to play a captain, you know, somebody who is... But the thing that's so great about Jet in particular, the star of this session, is that not only is Jet a captain, he's also a cowboy. Like, how many people are captains and cowboys? Now, I will admit... <laughs> That list is probably longer than I thought when I asked the question, especially once you get into like subjective genre definitions. But it's cool. The thought of, of having your own space in space. I mean, that's we've done that since we were kids, right? We built forts. We, we mm -hmm. played with little action figures and we pretended the spaces they were in were full size because we wanted control of the space that we were in, right? Mm. I want a ship. I want to be in charge of who is on that ship. And I want to call it a boat most of the time. And I want to wear <laughs> a coat that looks good in space and on planets. I just, I feel like I could be the captain of a ship because I am willing to look past my own personal flaws. And I know that sounds exactly how it sounds. And that's why I said it that way. <laughs> I'm getting some, uh, so not only jet vibes, I'm getting some heavy Malcolm Reynolds vibes out of this as well. Like, Thank you, sir. <laughs> I guess my follow-up question to that would be, Are you? would you be more interested in the violent delights or would you try to be more of a, you know, diplomat? Obviously, both Jet and Mal are both somewhere in between um, where they're both charming and also violent. But, <laughs> but I guess where would fantasy, Jesse, uh, where would he land? Oh, you guys, this is like one of my favorite podcast guest appearances ever. I just have to throw that out there before I answer this. <laughs> Those of you that are listening 
and not in the recording studio with us, which is all of you, can't see that behind me there is a series of Cowboy Bebop art and toys right next to a series of Star Trek art and toys. So, to that point, I would love to have the disposition of a Malcolm Reynolds and the tenacity of a Jet Black, but if I really am being honest, in my heart of hearts, I would love to possess the diplomacy skills of a Jean-Luc Picard. I don't at all. Um, <laughs> Who <but> does? <laughs> I think I could role play that I did. <laughs> I've seen enough Star Trek to pretend to be that man, and he is respectable in every way, in almost every way. And I, But that's the thing. That seems to be the draw, right? Is that anybody that knows enough about pop culture could pick this up and go, I want me plus these characters in this character. And you guys, like, I'm having a blast describing a character that doesn't even exist. Like, this is not this yet. Is, this is good, good vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm already building the scenarios to test your metal, Captain. Ooh, my metal needs testing. It's been years. <laughs> well, that's Cowboy Bebop, right? Uh, half the time, the bounty is is somebody you can relate to, you know, you have sympathy for. So what do you do when your bounty is not actually that much of a bad guy, you know? (laughs) How much can you Picard your way out of that one? It's difficult to do. I mean, he he is a practitioner of cowboy diplomacy, but... Mm -hmm. I, I don't actually know what that means. I just know that he and Spock said it to each other a couple of times. It, so it's like, if there's a way to learn that, I will learn it. I think it has to do with just showing up uninvited. Please get out of the neutral zone, Captain. Oh, that's totally what it is. We just figured it out. <laughs> oh, here's another question for you, Jesse. Um, if you were going to take one episode of Cowboy Bebop across the entire series mm. and turn this into something to play at the table, which one would it be? Oh, man. Okay. And I'll I'll include the live action in this too if you want if you want to pull from something more recent. I appreciate that, but I mean I'm I'm a huge proponent of the live action series, right? But I couldn't be that if I didn't love the anime. I really don't mm-hmm. think I could. And one of my greatest lamentations of the last I don't know, 3 years is that we did not get a live action version of the Mushroom Samba episode. <laughs> so, if I were going to pick an episode or a session to turn into a session, I love that, I would probably pick Mushroom Samba because I would get to play with my player's sense of reality. I would get to say, you know, here's what you think is happening. Here's what's actually happening. That episode, for so many reasons, is is the episode I think that makes me smile the most on a rewatch. Mm -hmm. It's the episode that makes me go, this is Maximum Bebop. Like, this is every genre in 22 minutes this is so many kinds of music this is 427 different tropes from 1800 different sources like it it it's mind-blowing how much they put into mushroom samba and how much fun that episode is so i think that aspect of you know maybe not letting your players know which things are actually happening and which things just seem like they're happening would be a lot of fun plus everybody in that episode is gorgeous so i would just tell my players Mm -hmm. you know make sure your characters are beautiful and I think I will go from there. <laughs> okay, so I have a question, actually, if you don't mind, Andrew and Lee Joe. Um, which one of you would betray the other of you to get this game published? Oh, me 100%. Like 100%. <laughs> like, it's, it's not even a question. <laughs> I've scammed Lejo into being here, and I'll scam him away as soon as possible. I've I've told I've told many people what my dream scenario is, and that I don't actually I don't not care. I have no like strong ambitions of becoming you know a Kickstarter like ten million dollar funded project. <laughs> I my goal is to make a game that is good, and that when the official Cowboy Bebop t- uh, RPG comes out sometime this year or next year. Uh, I want people to be like, well, that was fine, but this one, this one was great. And then I can feel smug about that. That's, that is my end goal. That's all I want. Okay. (laughs) So so... yeah, Wu, so yeah, Wu would definitely betray me to make that money. It's fine. (laughs) That's interesting because I was trying to say that Wu would then be Jet, or, or rather Wu would then be fat and you would be Jet. 
But it turns out <laughs> actually that the official tabletop game would be Cowboy Andy and and your game would be Spike because you want yes. people to go yeah, it's yeah. pretty good but this is the real article, right? <laughs> That I, I would love it. That that is exactly the analogy I would love to have for our game. We're going to need that for the for the box quote, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess let's let's bring it to a close, Jesse. I want to thank you so much for being here and guiding us through uh, the thought process of somebody that is just excited to to play these kind of games that that's ready to go well like we need this perspective and i i'm glad that you're here to provide it for us uh if our listeners and i'm sure a bunch of the listeners here are already know where to find you but for the rest of you uh where can they find you on the internets so if i haven't just made you never want to hear my voice again then the best way that you can hear more of it is to go to your favorite podcasting app maybe you're already there Search Sudden But Inevitable. We will pop up. We have covered Firefly. We have covered Cowboy Bebop. We have covered the live-action Cowboy Bebop. We have covered a very cool movie called Space Sweepers. It's on Netflix in America. Go check it out. It feels like Bebop mixed with Firefly. If you want to follow me and get at me directly on Twitter, you can do so at Sudden Butt. You can check out some cool photos that we put up almost weekly on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. And if you would like to join our live chat, as our friend Andrew here did, you can come to youtube.com slash twistmyarmpodcast every Friday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Currently, as I said, we are in the process of covering live-action Cowboy Bebop, and we have, I think, four or five episodes left at this point. So... Coming up at some point will be season four. We haven't quite nailed down what that is yet, but just go check out the back catalog. There's plenty of sudden but inevitable for you to listen to. I would like to say really quickly, again, you guys, thank you. I I, I don't feel like I provided much outside of a thought process, which, as you said, was what you needed. And if you ever need somebody to say what they're thinking out loud, I'm your guy for that. I mean, all day. So thank you guys so much for the opportunity. And I cannot wait to listen to this. And I cannot wait to listen to session uh, 14 tomorrow at work. <laughs> That's it for this week. Uh, next week, we're going to be covering, we've talked about it a little bit here, Mushroom Samba. I'm super excited. I don't remember what's going to happen. And honestly, I don't think the characters do either. So that's perfect. When in doubt, don't. Don't eat that mushroom you found on the floor, please. All right, then we'll say goodbye. So goodbye. Bye. See you, Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. feel like I could be the captain of a ship because I am willing to look past my own personal flaws. You can get weird with it.